Okay, we are continuing this morning in um, the book of Genesis. So we, last week, you will recall, we were looking at the story of Abraham and Sarah and the three strange visitors who come and they tell um, Abraham and Sarah that they are in fact going to have a child and Sarah laughs. And we talked a little bit about how even in that sort of moment of bitter laughter that Sarah exhibits, God doesn't reject Abraham and Sarah, but God continues to work in their lives uh, even though uh, they sometimes don't kind of get with the program and, and sometimes they are um, unable to see what God is doing and they might uh, even laugh and, and find some bitterness in the times when it seems as if God just isn't moving. And, and we talked about how God doesn't reject us in our moments of doubt, in our moments of sorrow, or our moments of pain. God doesn't reject us, but rather God draws close to us and continues to work in our lives even when we don't fully understand what God is doing. And so this morning, as we look at this story of uh, Hagar and Ishmael being sent away, I want to continue to explore how God works in, in us and, and sometimes in spite of us. I want to, I want to walk through this story a little bit this, this morning, give you some context for the story, and talk about what this story teaches us about how God continues to work in us and sometimes in spite of us. Now, I want to start with some context. So we need to understand um, why Abraham and Sarah have this other son, Ishmael, who's actually the biological child of this woman named Hagar. And, and I want to talk a little bit about why that, that Ishmael exists, why he was born, how that came about, and talk about what problem that is causing that leads up to this, uh, this dramatic story of Abraham sending Hagar and Ishmael away. So we're going to give a little context here to start with. So God has chosen Abraham. You've heard me talk about Abraham probably many times throughout sermons, but Abraham is, is, is a very important figure for us to understand the context and the, and the complete picture of our faith in Jesus. So going back to the beginning of Abraham's story, God chooses Abraham. God calls Abraham out of Abraham's family of origin, of his homeland, of, his, of everything he knows. God says, come out from among your family, from among your kin, come out of your homeland and follow me, Abraham, and I will make you into a great nation. And so Abraham, in faith, trusts God and uh, obeys the voice of God and follows, follows God away from his homeland, away from everything he's known. And he, um, and he goes, goes out into the unknown following God. God chooses Abraham. Abraham doesn't choose God. And so when, when Abraham follows God out, Abraham is stepping out in faith. So God moves toward Abraham and chooses Abraham, but Abraham responds in faith to God. One night... As Abraham is out in the wilderness doing his best to follow God and, and sort of wandering around um, as God uh, leads him on this uncharted journey, on this path uh, that Abraham doesn't see the end result. He's just faithfully following God and responding to God's call. Uh, one night, Abraham uh, is summoned by God. God appears to Abraham, and, and, and God makes a covenant with Abraham. And in that covenant, God says to Abraham, I am going to make you into a mighty nation. Your descendants are going to be numerous as the stars 
as uncountable as the grains of sand in the desert or on the beach. God says to Abraham, you are going to be the father of an innumerable amount of descendants. And in fact, you are going to be the father of a great and mighty nation. So God makes this covenant promise to Abraham that he will be a nation. Now, Abraham's old. <laughs> Abraham's not a spring chicken uh, when this promise is made. And his wife, Sarah, is, is, is elderly as well. So they're beyond childbearing age. And last week we talked a little bit about how Abraham and Sarah don't really understand how God could possibly make this promise into a reality because they just aren't making kids. They've never had a child. They've never been able to have a child. And it's well past the time of life when that would be a possibility. But God nevertheless promises Abraham that he's going to be a mighty nation. So Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're trying to figure this out. They don't quite understand uh, how this could possibly happen. And so Abraham and Sarah, they, they, they talk it over, and they decide to help God out a little bit. They, they decide, you know what? God said that we were going to have kids, but we know that's biologically impossible. we got to help God. And so Sarah comes up with this plan that Abraham and their servant, Hagar, will have a relationship and whatever children that Hagar is able to, to conceive uh, in that relationship, that will, that will be the way that Abraham is uh, the father of a mighty nation. So, so Abraham and Sarah, they kind of get together, they figure out how they're going to help God fulfill God's promise. Uh, they, they can't understand how this promise will be true, so they, they set about their own way. They, they kind of go to their own devices to bring about what they can imagine. You see, Abraham sets out to create a family. That's why Hagar comes into the picture. Abraham and Sarah decide this is how we can create a family. <clears throat> and God has more than a family in mind. God has a nation in mind. Abraham sets out to create a family, but God has a covenant intention to create a nation through which all of the world will be saved. Abraham's thinking about a family. God is thinking about a nation through which all of the world will be saved. Because Abraham and Sarah don't have God's imagination, because they're thinking in their own strength, because they're figuring out things uh, on their own uh, abilities, all they can imagine is some sort of like backdoor way to get to this promise that God has made. And so they come up with this idea that Abraham will have a relationship with Hagar, and that is how this uh, offspring that God has promised will come into being, will come into being. Well, here's the thing. They're thinking with their human imagination, unable to even fathom what God actually has in store. So when God does bring about God's promise, in, only, uh, in a way that only God is able to do, when God does bring about uh, the fulfillment of God's promise, well, that creates a problem for Sarah because they've got this other kid running around now, Ishmael. Now, Sarah is worried that this other boy, who is not her biological son, will be a competitor for the, um, the inheritance, the promise of, of Abraham. She's worried that her biological son will be disenfranchised by this surrogate son. 
that her and Abraham have, have, have produced by coming up with this plan for Abraham and Hagar to have a relationship. So, so Sarah is now very worried. Like they've, they've sort of made an end run around God's plan and they've done their own thing. And Ishmael is the product of their own uh, uh, way of thinking, their own um, human imagination about how God's promise might be fulfilled. Ishmael is the result of Abraham and Sarah's plan. And now she finds that there is conflict between the offspring of her plan and the offspring of God's plan. And so Sarah, in classic fashion, comes up with yet another plan. Now, I have to admit, this is kind of a distressing story to read on Father's Day of all days. Um, a father abandoning his son on Father's Day. Well, let me just give you a quick spoiler alert for next week. Next week's story is a doozy. If you think this is a harrowing story of uh, fatherhood, wait until next week when we talk about the Abraham and Isaac sacrifice story. But that's next week. We'll get to that then. So Sarah comes up with a plan for how to now sort of undo the conflict that she is experiencing because her biological son and the surrogate son that her and Abraham have have, have, have sort of created with their plan, with Hagar, uh, there, there's conflict in the camp now. So Sarah uh, comes up with a plan for how to keep her biological son from being disenfranchised by the surrogate. And Sarah demands that Abraham send Ishmael and his mother Hagar away. Now Abraham, to his credit, is not happy about this. Um, but he has a real problem. He doesn't like the idea of sending Ishmael away with his mother Hagar. He doesn't like that one bit, but he doesn't really know what to do because he has an actual problem. There is conflict. Sarah and Hagar are not getting along. There is a potential for problems down the road as issues of inheritance and all sorts of things begin to, to come into play. And so Abraham is sort of in a quandary. Because he and Sarah took matters into their own hands, they have created the situation in which division will be necessary to preserve the covenant. Abraham and Sarah's actions, their sort of taking matters into their own hands, has created a situation in which division is the only way through this problem that now exists, this conflict and this, this uh, division, this dissent within Abraham's own household. There is a real problem here because Sarah and Abraham took matters into their own hands. Now, in any other story, this would be absolutely tragic. And there, of course, is an element of tragedy here. I, mean, I don't want to uh, downplay how incredibly um, sad and tragic and, 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 and even just, just downright frightening this, this moment is. I mean, Abraham is going to send his son away into the wilderness with nothing, with nothing. This is a very, very awful circumstance. This is a terrible situation. And, and it's something that, that is, 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 lies fully at the feet of Abraham and Sarah. Like this is, this is something they have, to, they have to own. This is a problem that they've created. And the solution that they're coming up with um, is one that has tragic implications. There is a very real sense in which Hagar and Ishmael are being sent away to die. 
You know, in our human understanding, in, in, in Sarah and Abraham's you know, plan for how to deal with this situation, the, the only thing they can come up with is the violent expulsion of the slave girl and her son. The only thing that they can come up with as a way through this solution is something that is inherently violent and even evil, something that involves sending this innocent, poor woman and her son away to their death. Now, this will certainly resolve any conflict about inheritance, right? It'll make probate a lot easier. But it's a tragic moment and a moment that we have to sort of like step back and, and sort of catch our breath as we see this scene unfolding in the Bible story. This is a potential disaster, but God has other plans. You know, we make messes. <laughs> That's what we do. Um, I grilled out last night, and let me tell you something, I made a mess. <laughs> um, we tend to make messes, um, whether we're cooking or sometimes by the decisions we make in our own life. We find ourselves very often in um, crises of our own making. We find ourselves sometimes in the middle of a mess. We know how we got there. It's because of a bad decision we made or a misstep or a mistake or something else. And, and oftentimes when we find ourselves in a mess, we try to clean it up in our own power and our own ability. Uh, we try to fix the problems that we create. And how many times have you tried to fix a, a problem that you've created and, and only to find that all of your fixes have created their own sets of problems? Um, you know, I find this, when I used to do uh, computer work, um, I would, you know, be working on a problem. Let's say I was working on some sort of network issue and I was trying to resolve a, um, a situation where, you know, computer X and computer Y weren't communicating and there was information that was being lost and I needed to figure out a way to fix it. Well, sometimes what I would find when I was working on those computer problems is I would go and I would, I would find what I thought was the problem and I would you know, make a, a fix. I would maybe change some code or change a setting or, or, or do something like that. And then all of a sudden, instead of things getting better, now three computers weren't working. There was all of a sudden a multiplication of problems. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in any of your work or even in, in your life. Sometimes when we go in and we try to fix things, we find that our fixes actually create more problems. And that's certainly the case here in this story of Ishmael and Hagar being sent away, Abraham's fix for this problem is, um, it's problematic, right? You see, we can only see in one dimension. We can only see uh, what our human imagination allows for. We only see one solution. We only see one way out. We only see one way through. We only see one answer. And God sees other things. God sees the, the whole situation in a way that we can't fully fathom and understand. You see, God sees opportunities where we see obstacles. God sees a future where we see failure. The end of the road is a launching point for a leap of faith. You see, all Sarah saw in this situation was a slave girl and an interloper. And Abraham, all he saw was trouble brewing on the home front. Their grand plan had blown up in their face. And Hagar and Ishmael were going to pay a heavy price for that. But here's what God does in this situation. God takes a slave and turns him into a king. God speaks to Abraham and says, I will take care of Ishmael. 
Abraham can't be Ishmael's father anymore. He's sending him away. But God is father to the fatherless. Abraham doesn't see any way to protect the covenant outside of dividing his household and sending away his son. God is father to the fatherless. God sees a way where we see no way. God can make a way where there seems to be nothing but heartache. God can transform a situation from a failure into something beautiful. And so God takes Ishmael and God says, I will be father to this man and I will make him into a mighty nation. God says to Abraham, I will also bless Ishmael because he is your offspring. God says that Ishmael will father a mighty nation. God says that Ishmael will also share in the promise. Even though the covenant necessitates division, God's promise through Abraham, is salvation for all who call upon his name. And so Ishmael, whose very name means God hears, will have his cry answered. When Ishmael is under the bush and weeping and crying out with his thirst and his hunger and his desperation, God hears him and God comes to his aid. God lifts him up. God rescues him. And God creates a king where all we saw was a slave. Covenant may require separation, but God's promise through Abraham is salvation for all who call on him. You see, Isaac and Ishmael are separated here. The family is broken. The household is divided. Ishmael goes away. But in Jesus, Isaac and Ishmael are reunited as the promise that God made to Abraham reaches its ultimate fulfillment. Salvation for all the world and the covenant promise poured out upon all. You see, God promised Abraham all of those millennia ago that I will make you into a mighty nation. And through your family, all the families of the world, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God promised Abraham. I will make you into a mighty nation and through your descendants, blessing and salvation will come to all the world. And in Jesus Christ, that promise to Abraham is fulfilled and the family that was divided, Isaac and Ishmael, are brought back together in Jesus Christ as God in Jesus Christ at the cross with his blood reconciles all of creation to God's self and reconciles every division in the creation. Every division in humanity is erased by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise And in Jesus, even that horrible moment of division when Ishmael is sent away is redeemed as God brings everyone back together into his loving embrace so that all might be saved. You see, our mistakes do not pose a threat to God's plan. And God's redemption will include every wrong turn we've ever made. God's plan for salvation and redemption includes even our mistakes, 
even our missteps, even those moments of our deepest failing, even those will be redeemed because Jesus Christ has shed his blood to fulfill the covenant so that the promise might be made available to all. Salvation is in Jesus, and we are invited into the covenant through him. God's love and God's justice are inseparable, but God's love and God's justice will make all things right in the end. Slaves will become kings and queens. Justice will be done. Righteousness will rule, and the redemption of the cosmos will put the whole world back together again. This is the promise that we have through Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus, now open to Our mistakes are real. The messes we create are real. The problems in our lives are real. But I want you to be encouraged this morning that whatever you're dealing with, whether it's a relationship issue, uh, something that is a mistake that you've made that's caused uh, you to experience financial hardship, maybe you're experiencing the results of, of someone else's mistake, maybe you're still paying for a mistake that happened years and years and years ago, I want you to know that in this moment, God is still working in us and sometimes in spite of us to bring about God's good purpose, which is the redemption of all the world, and that includes our failures. God in Jesus Christ has fulfilled the promise. And so we can have hope because God's promise is for you and for me and for Ishmael and for Isaac and for every human being who's ever lived or ever will live. That's how expansive God's promise is. God is redeeming everything. And God will indeed put the world back together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me.